Good evening, everybody. We are back here with our Q&A, the final Q&A for this month of May. We just want to thank God once again for bringing us through another month, another week. We just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. It's been a tough month uh, than this summer, but also otherwise. But Lord, you are faithful. Till this hour, you are faithful. You will always be faithful. That's who you are. So Lord, before we go into the questions, we just thank God for the two new babies that were added. One day we had two girls. (laughs) And the girls keep on increasing in numbers. So many girl babies. I think the quota for this year is over. Five babies were expected this year and all five are in town. And of which four are girls. Four are girls. And one we boy. had one boy. <laughs> okay, so that's the ratio four to one. But we thank God. Praise Girl God. or boy, we just want to thank God. So before we look into the word, the questions, we look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you once again, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. And let us help us to be true to your word and to your spirit, Lord. For only your word has life. Amen. And your spirit will only stand with your word, not with the word of man, Lord. So help us to be true, Lord. We come at this time, this hour into thy hands. Be with all of us, Lord, everywhere. Especially with those who are in the hospitals, who are injured, ill, who are recovering. But Lord, I pray you would stretch forth your hand. Heal them and comfort them, Lord. Strengthen their mortal body. You are able more than able. You have never changed. You are the same yesterday, today, forever. So I speak, Father, in your name, healing into every wounded, infirm body, and strength into every downcast soul, Lord. And they will rejoice in you. And they will see the manifest glory of God upon them, even in the ICU, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Vijay, so, we can start. Yeah, we'll start first with uh, a question that came last week. We'll, we'll look at that question first. This is question number four. Can you hear me? Yeah, question number four. Uh, what does the word stand fast and stand whole mean in the Bible? Many of our kids get confused by this verse in the Bible. Stand fast. Can you explain this, please? Okay, we'll turn to that. Um, that word, verse comes in different places. But let's go to, I think it's in Second Corinthians 16. Uh, first question, 16, 13 is where you find it. Yeah. Okay, first question, 16.30. Watch, stand fast in faith, be brave, be strong. Okay, now, I mean, it's so not so difficult to understand in the physical realm, in the material realm in which we live, something is uh, fastened, that the storm comes, the wind blows, it is, it, it will not be shaken. Yes. It will not be shaken. Now, in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing that first, if you look here, that's what we are being asked. Stand fast in the faith. Okay? Because our faith will be tested. More than anything else, our faith will be tested. Every day it is going to be tested. And when our faith is tested, the whole thing is that if you go to, I mean, I don't have to put it up on the screen, that when Paul finishes about, um, talks about uh, his finishing his race, and if you look at, he is sure about his crown. And uh, when he talks about finishing the race, the answer is there, I have kept the faith. Mm. It was a battle of faith. And it was a race run in faith. And the result is, I have kept the faith. That is what the Bible is talking about, standing fast in faith. Any situation 
we will face in life. We're talking to believers. Any situation you face in life. Primarily, there are two options, two voices. One is a voice of sight. The other is a voice of faith. Mm. Voice of God is a voice of faith. And the question is, where will we go? And this is the first thing Paul is telling in Corinthians 16.30, stand fast in faith. When the trials come, remember, don't buckle under pressure. That's why we study scripture and the lives of people. After Hebrews 11, giving a list of so many people, the exhortation in Hebrews 12, verse 1, is to stand and your stand. Look at this cloud of witnesses. What are they witnesses of? The witnesses of a journey of faith and the faithfulness of God. Yes. And from Abel onwards, a list is given. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Stand fast in faith. When you are faced with their trouble, the whole idea is God will allow our faith to be tested and the devil will push us to step outside from the from the pathway of faith. The minute we are out of faith or buckle under pressure, move out of faith, the devil has won. The devil has won. Sometimes it looks that things are better, but spiritually it is a loss. And you will not realize it until later. Like when Jonah went off the road, everything seems to be going well with him. Yeah. But the fact was, he was going on the way to destruction. And God had to intervene. Okay, that's why you need to understand fast. First thing is stand fast in faith. And we have so many examples in the Bible, like the, like we talk about Daniel. And, uh, Daniel is taken as a prisoner with the princess of Judah, brought to Babylon. And the question is, the first test is the test of food. And everywhere that is a first test, because as a first test as a human being we face is the test of food. And you will see he passes that. He passes that test. So in Daniel 1.8, the Bible says, it's a test of faith. Okay, he's in Babylonian. All around him is Babylonian dishes. He's in the Babylonian culture. He's practically alone. But faith comes in and he makes a decision based on faith. So mm. the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. It's a decision of faith. It's not a decision of sight. It's a Jewish kid in a Babylonian setting. And all the other Jewish kids are planning to buckle under pressure. And you will see he refuses to buckle under pressure. If you come to Romans 14 and verse 23, the principle is put across there in terms of faith. 14.23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. So food and faith goes there. And Daniel begins making a decision. He's standing fast. And he's the only one. The others step up after that. Okay, he's not looking to the left or right. The others, when they see three, when they see Daniel, this step is uh, along with him. But whatever is not from faith is sin. So you will see in Daniel's case, his first stand was for faith. He's in food. We presume Daniel was a eunuch because there seems to be no wife or children in the entire narrative. So he's primarily tested. If you had to look at young people, where will be they tested with? One, you will be tested with what is called food. The next thing as you grow into a teenager, you will be tested is with your sex. Okay, it's a natural thing put in there by God. Desire for food is a natural thing put in by God. But the question is, will you go by faith or will you go by sight? Desire for sex is a natural thing put in by God. But it is going to be tested. So the next young man we see in the Bible, which is Joseph, he is tested with that. And you will see he stands firm. And the Bible is very clear. That's a pretty good picture of standing fast if you go to... Genesis and uh, and thirty nine and uh, the Bible says uh, verse ten thirty nine verse ten yeah at verse ten she's um, trying to, so it was as she spoke to Joseph what is that day by day day by day he did not heed to her day by consistently standing fast on that 
he gets into trouble because of that, but God is with him. Okay, so we realize we have to understand when we have to make faith very practical. It's not a theology or it's not an ideology. It's very, very practical when it comes to certain things in life, especially, you know, we look at young people in the Bible. It's because those who stood steadfast in faith, they continued all the way. There are two pictures. One is Daniel. One is uh, Joseph. And you will see till the end they are standing. 110 years Joseph. Daniel, of course, we don't know in his 90s. So he's able to stand steadfast in all these things. And even in his prayer life, he's very steadfast. Nobody can stop him from praying. So this is what it is talking about. Stand fast in faith. Then if you come to, let me, I think it's Galatians 4, 1, 5, 1. 5, 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which God has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let me tell you, there's only one place where you will be actually free. And it is not external, it is internal. It's only when you walk by faith. When you walk by faith, when you and I make a decision to walk by faith, two entities come in together. One is the word of God and the other is the spirit of God. And what you experience is liberty. Mm. And that's what he's talking about. Don't go back to the law. Yes. If you go back to the law, like we say, it's a narrow path with ditches on both sides. One ditch is the law, the other ditch is the world. Mm. There will be people who will overcome the world but fall under the law. under the bondage of the law. Okay. There are others who fall into the ditch of the world. Okay. So God says, stand fast in liberty. This this is a very narrow path. Because you know what? The righteous man is tempted by the law. The unrighteous man is tempted by the world. Mm. The temptations are not the same. But the ditch is the same. Mm. You still fall into the ditch. It is easier to save the fellow who fell in the ditch of the world than to save the fellow who fell into the rescue, the fellow who fell into the ditch of uh, legalism. Legalism is a, is a different ditch. And Bible is talking about that. You have to be very, very careful. I will not be legalistic. I will walk by faith. I will not go into that route. I will not go into that route. And it is constantly, it comes. It's a constant. Because the, the, the it's more difficult on this side than on that side. Why? Because, you know, sometimes you don't know. The line seems very blurred. Walking by faith and being legalistic. Mm. Yes. Because legalism and faith both come from the word of God. Not the word. No, not the word. Mm. Both come from the, from the word of God. The only difference is legalism comes from the letter of the word. Faith comes from the spirit of the word. What did God mean? What did God mean? And the only exceptions we make is that when you're not very sure, very sure, go by the letter. Don't throw it away because the word still stands. But usually you will get it. What did God mean by it? Oh, Lord, tell me, what? how do I apply this? Okay, well, I mean, I mean uh, you can be a legalistic and be condemned by God, especially the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the basis of all law. And the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And Jesus said, do you know what it really means? It means there is an effect and there is a cause. The cause is don't be angry without cause. Don't be angry. You can, the Bible says don't be angry without a cause. Be very careful. Because if you are angry without a cause, you are moving on to the point of being a murderer. The only reason you don't murder is because of the law, mm. not because of anything else. There was no law, so Cain murdered his brother. So what happens is, when you don't murder because of the law, but you are angry and walk in anger, you know you are a legalistic. And you've fallen into the ditch. What has happened is, you have lost your liberty. Mm. Outside you are laughing, smiling, but inside you are fuming, hatred, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Okay, These are all inside. But if as long as you have these things inside, you have no liberty. You have no freedom. 
And that's what the Bible is talking about. So the only way you can be free is dealing with the cause. And faith deals with the cause. God says, if you deal with the cause, you don't have to worry about the effect. You'll never kill. You'll never kill. Because you're not angry. You've dealt with it, spoken it out, or forgiven. Lord, I choose to forgive. Anger is God. You have to deal with these things. If you don't deal with these things, what will happen is that we will not be able to stand fast. Slowly, we think that we should be able to go from liberty to liberty. If you look at Jesus, okay, you will see in... It would be, I mean, it would be like, you know, on the cross. On the cross. He's not moving from less pressure, more pressure to less pressure. He's moving from pressure higher to higher to higher to higher to higher. Finally, on the cross, he's on the high point. Everybody is mocking, scorning, enemies all around. But the question is, even then, he stands steadfast in faith and he forgives his enemies. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Would you be able to stand fast? No. These are fundamental issues, whether it comes to food, whether it comes to other desires, whether it comes to spiritual issues like forgiveness, hatred, walking in forgiveness, walking not in anger, no, walking in joy. It's a choice. You have to be steadfast about it. Today you may feel very good, so you are singing. Tomorrow may be a terrible day. The question is, are you steadfast? Because the whole thing is, let me give you that, that verse. It is, uh, uh, Philippians, uh, 4-1, uh, First Thessalonians 3-8. Let's have Thessalonians, uh, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And Thessalonians 3-8. For now we look, if you stand fast in the Lord. Now, God is brought over there. It's more than faith. You see, God never changes. God never changes. He's always the same. He cannot change. That's why he's God. He's always the same. So the question is, now you look at your daily response to God. You have to ask, am I steadfast in my response? Or am I moved by my circumstances? It's the question. And people are moved by their circumstances. I don't feel like praising today. Why? Because today is a terrible day. Nothing good happened. God says, what has that got to do with me? Did I change? So we need to realize... We have to stand fast in our responses towards God. Otherwise, God will not say uh, to praise Him, to thank Him always, to pray without ceasing. I don't feel like. What's that got to do with it? What does your feeling got to do with truth? Okay. And a lot of people, what happens is that their walk of faith is not consistent. They don't stand fast in the things of God. You know, And Jesus' life, you will see, is consistently steadfast. And it does not matter whether it is five loaves of bread or whether it would have been 500,000 loaves of bread, he would have still thanked his father. Because he knows to be grateful is our duty. Yes. We deserve nothing. He has given us everything and to be grateful, to be thankful, to praise him. That's what Habakkuk is so famous. I mean, if you ask people, anybody who has read the what do you remember from the book of Habakkuk? You will say the last verses. Even though the fig tree doesn't go There is no sheep in the sheep. Nothing, everything is gone out of the window. Yet, I will rejoice in so to rejoice in God, that's what the Bible says. Paul doesn't say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And I tell you to. See, when you look at Paul and you look at his circumstances, you will see this man was steadfast. Mm-hmm. He's standing fast in his faith. Yes. That's why he has the assurance of the crown when he's finishing his race. Because you throw him in the street, you put him in prison, he's consistent in his response. That my, my situation, I may be in the worst case scenario, 
but that will not stop me from responding the way I should respond. So there is faith, there is liberty, and then there is our responses, our praise, our prayer, our thanksgiving, our our word life. I don't feel like reading you, listening to the word. What has feeling got to do with it? And that's what the Bible is talking about. And once we start, it's a discipline. And it's a discipline of the soul. Once that sets in, we will realize the presence of God is always there. You cannot read it in isolation unless you understand the new covenant and other other places in the old covenant. And the Bible says the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house and the Lord was with him in prison. You need to realize he was steadfast. In everything, he is standing fast in what he has heard from his father and learned of God. He is standing fast in his faith life, in his prayer life, in his prayer uh, praise life. And God is with him. Because the, the proof, the experiential proof of liberty is God is with him. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. So liberty is the result of the presence of God in your life. That is how liberty comes. Liberty comes because the Lord is there. And that's what Paul is talking about in the prison. He says, except for these chains, I'm not bothered about it. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He says, this is what you need to do. And he's doing that there in prison. So you look at it, we understand this is a principle and this is a life. And he says, we love this life, so stand fast in the Lord. And you will realize, life is not as difficult as it it seems. Because the question is, we who are the church which is more in the less persecuted atmosphere now, if we are not able to do this now, what will we do when the difficult days come? Will we stand fast when the day and the hour comes? Right. If you go to Ephesians chapter six and verse ten onwards, stand fast. Same thing is being told. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And verse eleven, stand, stand, stand. Yeah, it says. Okay. Yeah. Put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. You have to stand. And after having done everything, and after having done everything, you should still be found standing. Okay, that's what it means, consistent. And it comes over a period. I mean, if you, if you fail, don't get discouraged. Rise up, learn your lesson, and stand. Stand. Because God is with you, and God is for you. Amen. This is, this is one battle you cannot afford to lose. Hallelujah. Every other battle in the world you lose, it is okay, it does not matter. You cannot afford to lose this battle, the battle of faith. And that's what he's saying, I have fought a good fight. And he says, I have kept my faith. I finished my race, I kept my faith, meaning, I stood fast till the end. And therefore, I have the hope of glory, the crown of righteousness. Yes, Pastor Vijay? It's very interesting that in the book of Habakkuk, uh, the starting logic is, the just shall live by his faith. faith. And finally, he says, even though everything is yes. not, not good in my life, I will still continue to respond in faith. Because that's how it comes. Because faith is the evidence of things mm-hmm. hoped for. Yes. The, the, what you are looking for, you, you don't see anything. Mm. But faith has evidence. Yeah. And the evidence is shown by you standing steadfast, stand fast. Pastor, there's another corollary to this question. This is question number six. Okay. And the person asks, um, there are only two questions. We are either under law or else we are under grace. In Romans chapter 2, Apostle Paul said, in a sense, a man who is not a Christian is under the law. So would you say there are only two positions? We either are under law or else we are under grace. Could you explain this in a little, detail, a little more detail, please? See, the Bible says in John 1, 17, that law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is primarily pertaining to the to the Jewish nation to whom the law was given through Moses. But let me tell you uh, different things in the Bible. Like if you come to uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, 
Noah built an ark with the Lord, took off every clean animal of every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, it, what is clean and what is unclean is codified only in the law. Mm-hmm. But they knew it before that. Yes. Because something is written 500,000 years later does not mean it was not known before that. So they knew the law. What was the law? They knew it. If you come to chapter, chapter 9, chapter 9, it is almost like a new creation. Okay, like that happened with uh, Adam. The words are almost kind of similar with the difference. Genesis 9, verse 1 onwards. God bless Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. This is exactly what he told Adam and Eve to now. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. Now, that was not there before the fall. He said, You shall have dominion, or you shall subdue them. But there was no fear. Animals were not afraid of man. Not. But now after the fall and after the first judgment, the dread of man will come upon animals, which will be taken away only during the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That will be taken away. But till then, it will be there. They're given into your hands. What is God doing? God, with this new man with whom he's restarting with his family, is establishing principles of government. That's what he's doing. These are principles of government. Because you don't have principles or laws, you cannot govern. And the front head of state... Noah is the first head of state. Mm. His family is the only family, and they are going to multiply his giving them laws. If you go further down, yes, everything, every moving thing that gives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Before the before the judgment of Noah's time, man did not eat animals. Man, men were vegetarians, and ultimately, man will again become vegetarians. Okay. Now we are not exalting veganism. Mm-hmm. We are not, mm. because if you are then you need, need to realize in the first judgment when the entire population was destroyed and wickedness and violence filled the earth and every thought and inclination was evil, all were vegetarians. Yeah. So there is no moral virtue in being a vegetarian. The first judgment was all on vegetarians. So if you're trying to put, you don't put things which are not there. That's why the Bible is a very clear book. Because people will try to bring a moral virtue in being vegetarian. God says the first judgment was all on vegetarians. They were the most wicked generation that ever lived on earth. Okay, so there's nothing morally virtuous of being a vegetarian or a non-vegetarian. But here you shall see that God is saying, I give you now animals also to eat. So man starts eating meat after Noah's uh, dispensation or during Noah's dispensation after judgment. Then he sets a law which continues till today. You shall not eat flesh with life that is its blood. Don't. And still keep doing it. When you buy your chicken and all, wash it nicely. In a principle, do it. Don't take blood. Okay, and then for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will require of it from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother. I will require who has shed man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Capital punishment is instituted by God. It has never been taken away. It's never been taken away. So what God has instituted as a principle in his government, we don't have the right to take it away. Have to take it away. Whether it's murder, premeditated cold murder, God says the answer is execution by the state. The courts will educate and the state will execute it. So what is happening is law and principles of government is being established. So Noah has three sons, three go in three directions, and they populate the earth. When they go into every dispensation, they go into it, they carry the law in their hearts. 
every one of them carry the law in the heart. So you will, you will, you will realize it doesn't matter how far people went, they carried the law. And fundamentally, fundamentally at the basics, the law is the same. No? You go to China, you go to Japan, you come to India, thou shall not kill. And when you kill, there is a punishment that also. So the law is there, and that's what he's talking about. All men. <coughs> Excuse me. We are either under the law or we are under grace. Fundamentally, everyone is under law or under grace. Now, what happens at the core of every religion is basically law. You cannot have a religion without law. No law, no religion. There is no law, there is no religion. Pick any religion, there is a codified law in it. Okay, That is where Christianity comes and people struggle. So what is the law in Christianity? Everybody will go to Ten Commandments. But the problem is Ten Commandments is not in Christianity, it's in Judaism. In Christianity, what you have is, it goes beyond the law. It goes to the truth. That's why if you go to Genesis, sorry, John 1, 17, that is the transition that takes place. And it's, it's very, very clear. Law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus brought two entities with him. One, he brings truth. And if you want to understand what truth is as separate from the law, the best portion to read is the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard. What did they hear? The law. But I tell you, that is the truth. And if you look at the truth, truth is at a much higher, higher plateau than law. It's easier to keep the law than the truth. That is why grace comes in. That's why grace. Grace is a supernatural power of God which enables a born again person, not others. Others don't have access to access to grace. So what grace does is first, grace saves us from the penalty of sin. Two, grace gives us the power to overcome sin. That's Romans six fourteen. Romans six fourteen. I'll put it across logically so that people will understand. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. Meaning, as long as you are under the law, sin has dominion over you. Outwardly, you, even if you don't sin, it is reigning in your heart. The only thing that is stopping you is the law. Where there is no law, sin will manifest itself. Automatically, it will, you will go that way because the only thing that is stopping you is the law. Whether it is the law of the father in the house or the law of the government outside, the only thing that is stopping you is the law. But left alone, you leave a child alone, and the parents go out, let the Lord, that lawless behavior comes in. But he says, you're not under the law. So sin should not have dominion over you. You should have dominion. But how do you have dominion? Because you are under grace. Right. Now, if you go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, and then to Romans 14, 23, you will see it's natural progression. Mm. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and verse 2 also, through our God. First is penalty of sin has been taken away. Okay? Two, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. If I am standing in grace today, that means I have ceased from sinning. That's simple as that. You cannot stand in sin and stand in grace at the same time. If you are standing in grace, you have stopped sinning. Because that's what grace does every time. Grace gives you the power to overcome sin. Now you go to Romans 14.23, you will realize there is only one way to walk consistently without sinning. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Rewrite the sentence. Whatever is from faith. Whatever from faith is not sin. That's why God says, my righteous shall live by, by faith. faith. When you live by faith, you overcome. You have dominion over sin all the time. The other side of the picture is, you go to Galatians 5. You, bring, you have brought the faith. Now you bring the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's, let's bring the Holy Spirit. 
Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, right? And verse 18. Okay, let's read from verse 16 onwards. 16 to 18. So I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay, now the spirit is brought and the voices in your flesh is also brought. And for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the contents against the flesh. Now we are talking about two voices. The voice of the flesh. That's oh, like in the morning we said there are two voices. Yeah. The voice of the flesh, your old man nature, flesh. Whether it is a physical sin or a spiritual sin. And forgiveness is a spiritual sin. Okay? It's not a physical sin. Beating up somebody is a physical sin. So there are two kinds yeah. of sins always. Okay, yeah. Unforgiveness nobody may see but God sees. Yeah. And the spirit is saying let go. But he says I'm not going to let go. So the voice is saying no, you don't know. That person cannot be easily forgiven. The Holy Spirit says forgive. <laughs> okay? Remember how God forgave you. Forgive. So the voice is there. So when you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, what happens is that you are not giving into the flesh. And the word says, look at verse 18. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So if you are walking in grace, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are walking by faith. If you are led by the Spirit, sin does not have dominion over you. So God puts it very, very practically. There is faith, there is the Word of God, and there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is both called the Spirit of grace and the Spirit of truth. Yes, That's what it says. So even Moses could not overcome he also failed. You look that. Everybody in the Old Testament, everybody failed. There's not a single man in the Old Testament who could overcome. But that's why Jesus says, of all born of women, the greatest is John the Baptist, the last of the law. But he says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. What is he talking? He says, one, positionally, you have been freed from the penalty of sin. You have been born again by God. A nature that is of God. That's what it means to be born of God. Your nature has changed. Your primary nature. When I was born of my mother, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. That was my primary nature. When I was born of God through the Spirit, my primary nature has changed. Now I am born with the image of God. That is righteousness. I am born in righteousness, shaped in righteousness. That is my nature. Now I have to grow in it. That's a simple thing. That is why if you look at, there is an incredible verse in 1 John chapter 3, if I'm right. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a positional statement, right? He was born of God, does not sin. Yeah, yes, sir. God, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Do you see that? Meaning that real born again person inside you, he is not capable of sinning. Yes, it's you, the old man, who keeps on sinning. Mm-hmm. The new man cannot sin because he's born of God. He cannot sin. His nature is godly. His actual nature is of God, so he cannot sin. And the born again person in you will not walk by sight. He cannot walk by sight because that is not his nature. He will only walk by faith. Because he is born of God. So the only thing he will receive is what God has said. So there are two people in us. The question is, whom will we feed? Whom will we allow? Now we go to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. The same concept is put across there. There it is talking about sin. Now we are talking about the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. It's irrelevant. He says, if you're born of God, you will overcome the world. The born again person in me, actually in me, is not interested in the world at all. Not interested in the world at all. Okay? You think about, like, think about all of us as we were born again and as we continue to grow in, in faith, what happens? The things which we liked earlier, it doesn't appeal to us. It doesn't appeal to us. It appeal to us. In the old days, when I was young as a teenager, if I could, I would watch three movies a day. And I can very clearly tell you the three theaters. One had concrete, 
other had tile and the other had thatched. But you went to all three, three parts of the town. <laughs> but today, I can attend three services and I enjoy it. What changed? What changed? The person inside has changed. Yes. The old man is still there. If you feed him, he will go back to watching movies and not at three but six theatres. Because theatres are more accessible now. But you cannot allow the old man. You cannot allow. So you have to choose. That's why I'm talking about. It's a choice. But the more you make that other choice, what happens is the new man gets stronger and stronger. It's, it's like that old story, remember? We had this story. It's an old repeated story by pastors everywhere about this man who had two dogs. One was white, one was black. And he used to bring you to the marketplace. They used to fight. And people used to place bets. One week the white one, one week the black one. But he always got, <laughs> he always got his money. So one day one man asked him, how come that is never consistent? One week one dog wins. The other week the other dog wins. He said, depends upon which dog I feed through the week. And now that's an actual truth. You feed your spirit man through the week what he needs. You will realize that is a week of victory. You feed the old man what he demands, the flesh. That's a day of victory for the old man. That's simple as that. Simple as that. That's what it is talking about. Everybody is born under the law. We were born under the law. Whichever law you are born under. It is not possible. It is not possible. The day you are born, you are born under the law of India, which proclaims by birth you are Indian citizen. What does it mean? You come under the law of India. Can you go from, you are a baby, I'm only, I'm only one day old, or two days old. Can you get out of India without a passport? No. Will immigration allow you? Oh, he's only two days old, he's not under our law. Do they tell you? No. no. The law comes immediately into effect. So you come under the law of a state, you come under the law of a religion, whichever. All those laws immediately starts falling into place over you. So everybody is under the law. But there's a difference. Once you come under grace, the law has been taken away. One, the Levitical law has been taken away. No more offerings and peace offerings and festivals. All that has lost its meaning because that was a shadow. The substance was Christ. Because Christ has done it all, I don't have to do it. But now we move into truth. And truth is primarily the spirit part of the law. That is why we still study the Old Testament and we understand the Old Testament better than the Jews. The Jews are not able to understand the Old Testament. They may be excellent expositors and all, but they will never get, let me show you what happens, uh, that is Corinthians uh, 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read from verse 7. Okay, verse 7, Second Corinthians chapter 3. For if the ministry of death, what is that ministry? Law. Written and engraved on stones was glorious. Because this law will never justify anybody. It's impossible. Let me ask you any question. Okay, like Russian works in railways. Have you read the railway manual book? Can any employee of the railway keep all the laws of the railways? No, it is not possible. It is just a guide. It is impossible to keep income tax laws. Even the chartered accountants don't know all of it. So they specializes in different, different, different laws. We have one called Juvenile Justice Act. The people who come with don't know the law. <laughs> so it is impossible to keep the law. And the problem of the law is that you break one law, they can come after you mm. on that. That is why Chidambaram and Karthi Chidambaram and everybody is getting aid. Right? India is ruled by two entities, Modi and ED. Huh? Yeah, which is true. How does ED go after people? Because you search anybody's financial transaction somewhere knowingly or unknowingly you have broken the law. They can get you anytime they want. 
is impossible to plead. So as soon as, soon as the law comes, the only thing you do is that you plead guilty. I'm not talking about the state law. I'm talking yeah. about general God's law. You have to keep the whole law or you are guilty under the law. So how can you get saved? Only through grace. The penalty of law is always the same. It is death. So Jesus died for us. So that penalty has taken away. Now he is saying, now the penalty has taken away. You are a new person. I will teach you how to overcome. That is where grace comes. And the danger in this 21st century is either you become a liberal and you go into the world. Then now there is no law or truth. You have neither of it. You become a democrat. Okay, and or you go to the other side, you become a legalistic. You go back. Actually, the entire book of Galatians was written to believers who were going back to the law. And it says, you go back under the law, you will go back under bondage. And you will come under a curse. Because curse is the man who does not keep the law. Mm. You will go on. You will see today so many people have gone back to the law within Christendom. They, they have calendars brought according to the law. They celebrate all the festivals, everything. The fact is that you don't go back to the law. You can learn from the law, but you don't go back to the law. Because there's only one way, the way of faith. The way of faith is the way of grace. Mm. And in grace, you always overcome. When you fall, you go back, you receive forgiveness immediately when you repent and go back because the penalty was paid. The penalty that was paid is like, let us put it in across, like a, a billion dollars into your account and every time you fail, it is withdrawing 100 rupees. It doesn't even dent your balance. That is the kind of price God has paid. The price God paid is for all the sins of man for all time through the life of his son. Pure, righteous God's life. So, that does not give us the license to keep sinning. Please don't misunderstand. But the fact is that all sin has been paid for. That's what Jesus meant. It is finished. So we should understand that and say that, you know, when I fall, I will rush back and I will rush out with grace. That's what we go to Romans 4.16. And that's what the two things we need every day. We need only two things from God every day. One, therefore, no, sorry, Hebrews 4.16. Romans 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Come boldly, let us therefore come boldly to the throne. The question is, how can I come boldly? Because the penalty has taken away. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer a sinner. You are a son. You are no longer born and shaped in iniquity. You have been born again in righteousness. So you can come boldly to the throne of grace. And I need two things every day in my life. Where I have failed, where I have sinned, where I have stepped out of the way of faith. I need mercy. And he says, obtain mercy. Two Find grace in the time of need. What is that you need? I'm going through this. What is God's answer? My grace grace is sufficient. So two things is provided at the cross. I'm provided great mercy for my failings and grace to overcome. And that's life. That's life. That's what uh, Jesus did. Moses brought the law. The purpose of the law was like a schoolmaster to hold us and bring us to Christ. When Christ has come, Law has disappeared. And if you read that portion in Galatians, faith, it has, is, come. faith has, come. has come. Christ, Christ come. has come. Faith and Christ. Faith and Christ. Because when faith comes, Christ comes into your life. Grace comes into your life. That is faith. It's, it's interesting that uh, when you said the law will not justify, but on the contrary, the law's entire purpose is to make you feel condemned. <laughs> to condemn that you. is the only purpose. That is the purpose of the law. What is the purpose of the law? The law has no soul. That's no solace. It does not save anybody. I don't don't care. I don't care. That's his job. You see the woman with her eyes, this thing. It is not a woman and all. Law is not a woman. Law is a man called Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Jesus who gave the, it doesn't say law 
was from Moses. No. Came through Moses. Moses. Yes. Who gave him the law on the mountain? Yes. So Jesus, Jesus who gave him the yes. law. Yes. So both the law and truth comes from Jesus. So he gave the law to Moses. Yes, Master. Master I think again, this is a similar theme. Similar which is theme. theme. Yes. This is question number seven. Whatever sin did, righteousness must undo. Is it true? Then what is righteousness? Is righteousness having a right standing with God or just as if one never sinned? What is it? It's almost similar to chapter, uh, that's a question. It says, okay, righteousness, first, what God does is that, uh, see, uh, all my deeds before I am saved makes no difference to me. Okay? Uh, Because I am under judgment. Let us say, let us say, there is a man on death row. Hmm. Okay, man on death row. All his appeals have been rejected. Now he's on death row. Today is the 28th of May. And he is to be executed on July 1st. He has finished all his avenues. Even the president has rejected his mercy petition. So he knows he has 32 days left. Okay. In these 32 days, he does all good deeds. Does it make any difference? No. No difference. Absolutely no difference. That is why God is saying, your righteousness is like filthy rice. You are all on death row. Nothing you do is not going to make an iota of difference in your life. You will all die because the wages of sin is death. So the first thing God does is he saves man. From the penalty of sin. Mm. That is what it means. That is what it means. Even, let's go to Abraham. Let's go to how how Abraham was saved. Now, Genesis 15, 15 and verse 6, I think. Yes. He believed, in God and was okay. he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What did he believe? If you look, look at verse 4 and 5. Okay. If you look at what did he? Behold, the word of the Lord came and said, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward heaven, count the stars you are able to. And he says, Now which version is this? This KJ will be good. Yeah, put KJ. KJ So shall your seed be. So shall your seed. Mm. Okay. So shall thy seed be. And you need to understand how almost every version has translated it wrong can prove it from scripture, the translation was wrong. That it is not descendants. It was thy seed. One person is talking about. He's talking to him about Jesus. When he looked, he says, your seed is Jesus. And that is when he says he believed in the Lord. What did he believe in? He was not believing in Isaac. He was not believing in Israel. He was believing in Jesus. And when he believed in Jesus, that Jesus through you, my son will come. It will be from your line. He will come. He will come. He will live. He will die for your sins too. And when you believe in his work, you will be counted righteous. And the Bible says, he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now come down to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and not to seeds, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Christ. That is why the Jews got so upset when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, you, you've been 30 years old. You're talking about Abraham saw your day? And he says, he did. He did. So there's only one way for salvation for people in the Old Testament or New Testament. Why did God, why was God pleased with Abel's sacrifice? Because there was blood in it. 
It's by faith they offered. Because God showed Adam and Eve there's only one way out of the mess you have made. It has to come through the blood. Because life is in the blood. It was all a shadow of the blood of Jesus. But a shadow has substance. In the kingdom of God it has substance. So even when the substance hasn't come, when you believe in the shadow, it works for you. So everybody who was saved in the Old Testament was saved only by faith in the coming Christ who would die. For God, there is no past, present, future because Revelation 13, 8 says the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. But when Jesus came and he died, now we look backwards to the cross, they looked forward to the cross. And we are saved by the same thing. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. And the thing is that when we repent, the first thing is we repent. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. We always have to go to that word. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us not go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That is the actual word, not works that lead to death. Dead works. Before I came to Christ, every work of mine was dead. There was nothing called good work and bad work. Mm. They were only dead works. My good works did not make an iota of difference in eternity. I would still go to hell. See, what happens is, as I tell you, many people who are born again, their problem is this. They don't struggle with their bad works. They struggle get letting repenting from their good works. Repenting from their good works. Especially people like my wife and all, our family and all, because they were Catholics. And Catholicism is built on good works. You have to sometimes tell them, stop the works you did before. Don't bring it in unless God tells you to do it. Because Catholicism is built on good works. On good works. And the problem is, you are a Catholic and you, let us say you got saved at 50 or 60. And you had this entire life discipline of doing good works. Then you get saved. First, to get saved itself is very, very difficult because you have to repent of your good works. That it was all dead works. You put your faith in your good works, you will not make it to heaven. You can only believe in the work Christ did. So repent of your good works and repent of your bad works. Everybody will easily repent of bad works. Everybody knows it's bad. But how do you repent of your good works? It's very difficult. Imagine, let us say like Dr. Richard, imagine you are a doctor. And you are a righteous doctor. You are very kind, patient, worked sometimes to a lover shift, 15 hour shift, saved so many lives, followed up, and you did all these things, and one day you encounter Christ and say, all you did, good for nothing. When you stand before me, you will not be judged for the good works you did. You will be judged for the fact you did not believe in my son. The wages of sin is death. So, at that point, he has to... Get rid of that. I will not put, not that that works did not benefit society. Mm. That's not what we are talking about. Don't put your trust in that. It's a very dangerous thing to put your trust in that. So, repentance from dead works is both the good works and the bad works. You repent from it all. Lord, I turn away from all that. Turn away from all that. Then I put my faith, the Bible says, faith towards God. What is faith towards God? Faith in the work God has done through His Son. In that alone you put. You think that the Jews were all bad people? No, many of them are good people. But they had to repent. They had to repent from both. And then God gives us, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, it's put there beautifully. By grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. You are not saved by your works. 
lest anyone should, should boast. boast. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you will say, you know why God saved me? Because I had so many good works. He says, your works counted to nothing. Then, once you are saved, the Bible says, we are his yes. workmanship. He's working in us. He's working on us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as soon as I am saved, you are saved, we fall into now God's plan. And we realize God had a set of works for all of us. Common, general will of God and specific. And we have to walk in it. And we have to discover it. The general, see, when you, when you talk about, okay, again it is 1 John uh, chapter 3. Where it talks about practicing righteousness, right? Yes, same thing. So that this is yeah. eight, 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 nine, and three, eight, nine. Eight, I think it's eight. Oh, no, wait. No, okay. He who practices righteousness right. is righteous. Yes. On John chapter three. Yeah, verse seven. Seven, seven, yeah. Verse seven, okay. Yeah. Three, seven. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So he's telling the children, hey, hang on. First you were made righteous. Now, live that life. Live that life. You have to practice righteousness. There is a life lived out. Okay, I will give you uh, uh, the best thing, example is this. Uh, Psalm 1. Go to Psalm 1 and then Jeremiah 17. Yes, right. yes, yes. Yeah? Both of us. He shall be planted like Yeah, person. that portion I want. Okay, that man who, that is someone verse uh, three. And three okay, he shall be like verse three. Okay, or let's read from verse one onwards. Excuse me, verse one onwards. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the uh, seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. Okay, so basically he's saying there is action, action, okay, of what we call, you don't do these things. Verse 1 is talking about the three things you don't do. Okay, there are do's and don'ts. Verse 1 is talking, he doesn't do these three things. He doesn't sit, he doesn't stand, he doesn't walk in a certain kind of company. Verse 2 says, he does these things. It's not enough to be not doing certain things and forgetting. These are the two sins we are culpable of. The sin of commission, the sin of omission. But we have to do and not do. So he does these things. And when he does these things, what happens is he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Oh. If you go to Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree. Yeah. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. What is God is talking? This is exactly what Jesus said. Use the same thing and put it across in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me. If you look, go outside, if you go outside, you look at that tree that is out on a yard. It's absolutely green in summer. Why? Because it's always getting water. Cars are washed, the water always, it gets water. So 24, I mean, I mean, 12 months a year, so what happens is that, you know, you don't see the tree struggling. All you, honestly, if 
I look at the tree, it looks the same. But if somebody comes after one year and says, wow, this tree has grown. You cannot measure growth. What you can do is just abide. Righteousness becomes natural. That's what Jesus is talking about. Abide. You do what you have been told to do. Meditate upon my word. Obey my voice. Something is happening inside you. Yes. Something is, honestly it was interesting. While uh, you guys were practicing, the message I was listening to, let me tell you the title. A very beautiful message to listen to. It is, yes, it's David Wilkerson's Don't Judge Your Spiritual Condition. I was just listening to David Wilkerson. It's an old, old message by this man of God. They don't judge because you will not, even here's the only idea is to abide. You abide like the tree abides. What does the tree do? Its roots go in. Okay. That's what. And it has to be there. You do the things which God has told you. Read your word, pray, sing, worship, don't miss church. Do all those things. What is happening is your spirit is pulling up the nourishments that only that comes from God's things. And internally you are changing. But when that is not happening, when that is not happening, that is the problem. And my primary problem with the church is basically that. Because the issue is that, you know, let us say we have a worship team of people who pray, or whatever you are doing it. You cannot serve in the kingdom of God without doing the other things. It's a very dangerous thing. Meaning, I, I try to say to people, to them, you know, if you are in the worship team, let us say you are in the worship team. We have seven days service one way or other. At least come. One day other than Sunday. Otherwise what will happen is you are wasting your time. You are a hireling. The kingdom of God does not appreciate hirelings. Hirelings. The problem with the hireling, there are shepherds also who are hirelings. The The Bible says that whenever there is trouble, the hireling will run away. The shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. The hireling runs. In the same way, imagine you are in the worship team or you are in the prayer team, but you never attend anything, but you only come for that. Like you come on a Sunday morning up onto the stage to be part of the worship team. The minute something else calls you, immediately you flee because you don't have the life inside. Life inside. This is that fundamental thing which people are not understanding. You cannot, even if you are a pastor, because there are a lot of pastors out there. Even if you are a pastor, you have to abide. If you are in the worship team, I mean, every child of God, if you want to serve God in any way, you don't struggle. You abide. You abide. If you don't abide, you will, that is where you will always handle. Let us say, Pastor Vijay does not abide. Okay. But he wants to serve in the, in the church. And he serves. And one day I say, no. One day when I say he gets so offended, what does he go back to? He goes back to all his sacrifices. Exactly. If you look at every one of them in history, they will all go back to their sacrifice. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. No, you didn't. You didn't abide. Simple. Plain and simple. simple. Mm. You didn't abide. Mm. That is the fundamental issue. And the most difficult work you do within the church is to get the people to abide. And the, um, and uh, if you do, you're planted by the waters. Okay? There are two things Paul uses. Paul says, Paul plans. 
Apollos waters. Both are the word of God. You are born again by the word of God. And then you are watered continuously by the word of God. Honestly, what you have to do is that you don't have to do anything. Honestly. If you just come and listen or online, whatever, you keep listening to the word, you pray along when prayer is taking place, you worship along as worship along, without you realizing, you will change. It is impossible. You will change. One, you see, go to Genesis, uh, sorry, John chapter 15, verse 3, if I am right. You are already clean. Let me ask you this question. How did they become clean? Did they even realize they were clean? No. Because they just followed Jesus. And he kept on teaching. He kept on teaching. He kept on teaching. They kept on listening, 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 listening. What happens? They are clean. They are clean. This is what we are talking about. But to get people, so sometimes you actually struggle. Are all the people in the worship team saved? Is the networking seven? Yeah, okay. Don't look so seriously. Then I'll think I'm speaking to the air. Okay. So the issue comes over here is that you start worshipping. Is this person saved? But he's in the worship team. Is this one in the worship team? Is she or he saved? Because the reason is that, yeah, thank you. You know, the thing is that they are not abiding. They are not abiding. Okay. They are not abiding. Because anything, see, like in this mango tree outside, there are a few mangoes. And in the branches, that is where, yeah, look here, okay, already we have only three people. Okay, the camera is there, but I can't see the people, okay, only three people, okay, because then it becomes very difficult by, one of these days, I want all of you people, I will call you all to the pulpit and make you speak for two minutes and ask the people to be distracted and see how you will speak. I want to start with the people when the front is empty who sit at the back row. I want them to come here and you stand and preach. How does it look when the front is empty and you all go sit at the back? Does it give you a theater feeling? I want to know. So if you look at that branch over there, one branch, two branches, is got uh, mangoes on it. Let me ask you this question. When the mango was growing or forming and all, did you see that one branch shaking too much? Was it working to produce? No, no, no. Just abide. It just abided over there. No, that's all you have to do. One of the fundamental truths is that if you abide, where did, why did we grow? If you think we have grown, why did we grow? It's simply because we abided, we heard, we listened. What first thing the word of God cleansed us. That's what the Bible is saying. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. How did it clean? They are not even aware of it. And Jesus looks at them and said, you know what? This is the final message. He's going to be arrested. And he's going to die. For three and a half years you walked with me. And you heard me preach to others. You came with your questions. I answered you 24-7, 365 days a week. You are listening to the word, the word, word. Let me tell you one thing which you don't know. I know. You are clean. Because of the word. We are clean. How did it happen? Simply because you abided with me. Okay. That was the first question they asked. He asked, what do you seek? They said, where do you stay? He said, come, come and see. And they stayed with him. It says they abided with him. They abided mm-hmm. with him. It's a simple process mm-hmm. of staying mm-hmm. with God. And practical thing of staying with God is your personal devotions. You don't miss it. 
whatever time you have chosen you spend that time with god you listen to the read the word you listen to a message and when the church it has to be a word based church you cannot have any feeling based church and pr churches and self promotion churches all this is junk you have to be in a church which is centered around the word it is absolutely fundamentally crucial for your salvation correct the mm-hmm. most important part of the church is the ministry of the word let me tell you when the principle is continuously there in the bible when god told moses to build a tabernacle over there and all the things for the tabernacle the first thing that is mentioned is the ark is the ark the ark of the covenant is the first thing to be made because from, from there i will speak yes you can have everything in a church with the best money can buy if there is no pulpit it is not a church that's why in these old type churches if you go over there you will see the lectern is place where the man goes up from a high position he preaches it is not about the man mm-hmm. it is about the word it is about, about the word, word. Okay. so that position you have to give personally in your life and be in a church where the word is preached and just give yourself to the word and to prayer and to worship and you know what automatically you will know what to do one you will know what not to do you will know what to do and the specific will of god okay specific will of god let will me find you it will find you let me tell you about the specific will of god for one man it makes it easy moses 80 years of his life what did he do general will of god in the meantime he also did the specific will of god was to bring a people from here and take them till the border but 80 years he lived the general will of god what is that live like a shepherd wake up in the morning take care of a father or sheep for 40 years then after that next 40 years wake up in the morning lead my sheep for 40 years in the meantime don't be angry don't be upset be meek pray do this thing his life is the same like everybody's nothing different 90% or 95% of the life of moses is the same as the people 5% is different he has to hear from god whenever there is a issue he has to deal with it so everybody is living the same he is dressed in the same dress he is eating the same food he is drinking the same water walking the same paths but he has discovered his purpose the people did not discover their purpose that was the only problem okay this is what we need to realize we will automatically fall into the general will of god and then you will find you see like if you take roshan over here let's say roshan is here the other two are bachelors roshan has to understand i am a husband he has a mother he got married so once he got married according to what god has spoken there is a spiritual separation not necessarily not always physical but physical is also necessary so that his wife can build a home but there is a separation and then he is a husband he is a father and he works in the railways he is a government servant and then he belongs to the church so he has four roles to play four roles to play he has to find what are the word of god says how he should how should i be as a father how should i be as a husband how should i be as a son how should i be as a government employee how should i be in the house It's all there. It's all there. Once you, it is, it is like we say, it's not rocket science. It's all very clearly said. And when you do that, you know what? You become a witness. 
Because when you look at what God is asking for, the first thing you realize is, I need faith. I need grace. If I have to be a husband as God demands, husbands, love your wife as Christ Jesus loved his wife. Lord, I see that. I don't have it. I can't do it. I need it. The first response to the word is our inability. I can't. Yes. I can't. You go to the railways and then you take your word. You're going tomorrow, Monday morning, you're going to work. And then Colossians, that is your, your, uh, your meditation is from Colossians chapter three, 3 and mm-hmm. verse 22 onwards. Mm-hmm. Yes, bond servants. 22 onwards. Bond servants. That's basically when you sign that slip, you became a bond servant. <laughs> you willing. That's what it means. You're willingly servant. Everybody who works for the government is called a government servant. Okay, bond servant. Mm-hmm. You put, take the bond off and put government there. Government servants. <laughs> Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Your boss is according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Immediately it goes. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. You look at it and you realize, I can do this. Mm-hmm. It's simply, Lord, not possible for me to work this because you know my environment. You know my boss. And God says, I am your boss. I am your boss. But Lord, this, this is the principle. Now you want a pattern? Alas, my son is easy. He knew who he was working for. He says, look at Joseph. Mm. He was working for Potiphar and he was asleep and he got no salary. Salary. The patterns are in the Bible. The minute you see that, you will realize what is practicing righteousness. It's a righteous people have a way of living because they are primarily living unto God. So they don't need supervision. They don't say that. Um, I think on 26th Monday I was talking about. We don't need supervision. Yes. Like I, I said, yes. always said, I was just sent by God. I was not sent by man. Accountable only to God. Hmm. I was never sent by man. When I went to all these places, I went on my own. I just went on my own. No mission sent me. No search supported me. I just went on my own. And God had to open up everything. So I didn't, and I like always to say, I worked harder than all the pastors in each of those cities or countries I worked. I worked harder morning till evening. And the second foreign country I went in to work with the church at that time when the church was underground, he told me very clearly, he opened the door for me, I found a place in a place to teach as a lecturer, I went in over there, I worked harder than all the teachers, because I had to be a testimony in the school I was teaching. Like he used to say, the day used to begin at 4 in the morning and finished at 11, 11.30 in the night, because I had to work with those institution, with the government, and I had to work with the underground, underground church. One thing God told me is that, I was there for almost two years, and one thing God told me is that, you are on mission ground, and he gave me from the book of Acts, you will not take a pie from them. Amen. Not a pie. So one and a half years almost, or two years almost, less than that, I worked and I didn't take one rupee from the church. They, they tried doing all this, yet I was <laughs> preaching sometimes in three churches, four meetings, and one, two churches I preached every Sunday. Two churches. I preached every Sunday. The pastor just kind of took premature retirement till I left. He gave the pulpit to me. 
and another church, I was the only preacher. I preached in two services and they tried everything. They said, can we pay your rent? I said, no. They said, can we pay your telephone bill? I said, no. I said, God said, no. You don't need supervision. You don't need supervision. Why? Because your nature has changed. You don't need supervision. And the same thing in the union. I'm not just boasting. I'm talking about what God does through you. You are in a secular system where you cannot preach the gospel, but you realize this is an, you can always preach the gospel in different, different ways. And I will tell you honestly, every morning when I went into the staff room, the first thing I look is my department. All of us were together, but I department, English department, is any lecturer on leave. It's the first thing I look. I look, okay, Shashi sir is on leave. Then I go and check the timetable everybody's put over there. And I look at the timetable to see whether my off period and his working period match. So he's got a class, I am free. And I go to the vice principal and says, I will take his class. Because I will never go to his class. Otherwise, that's not my division. Can I go to his class? Why? I have an opportunity to speak to the kids. I will not miss this opportunity. So, though technically I was given two sections, I have spoken and taught in every section, every class in the college. It's not a single class I did not teach. Mm. Why? Because I knew I'm here for a season. When the season is over, this door will close, I will leave. I will leave. And I know what I have come here for. I've come here to teach English, yes. But not that I've come here in one way or other to give Christ to them. Literature is a wonderful place to put Christ across. The gospel, the gospel across. Without mentioning Christ and the cross, you can always put it across where people will want to know, I am tired of this religion. Yeah, I mean, there is something bigger than that. So you have this choice. And I personally believe this is how righteousness works. You abide in him. Mm. You abide in him. And you are very serious about, my God, I want to serve him. He will open doors for you. And Paul will talk about a great door of opportunity. Why are these doors opening for him? Because that is his zeal. That is his zeal. That is his zeal. He wants to. So you find the general will of God and you find the specific will of God. And you know what you dream? You're just abiding over there. You're just allowing God. Allowing God. We can sometimes, like times like this, okay, or look in Paul's case, you have to trust God. You have to trust God. Because sometimes, like Paul, he's not able to travel anymore. And he's a man who likes traveling and preaching. He's not able to. But he's shut down in prison. But now he will realize that it was God's will for him, specific will for him to be in prison and write the episodes. Because... If you know the number of places he has preached, we have no record. The only record we have are the episodes he wrote. So if you look at it, which was a bigger blessing? He was able to bless his his generation through preaching. But he was able to bless every generation through his episodes. So sometimes you don't understand God. You just obey him. Obey him. You don't understand. You just obey him. That's how righteousness works out. He who practices righteousness. There is a moral side of it, ethical side of it, and there is a functional living out of it. And that's when we become 
his witnesses. When he said, the spirit shall come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, he says, no, you're just, I'm just living my life through you. You go to Galatians 2.20, my, my favorite verse, which I always, I am crucified. Yes. Mm. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I love. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I love by faith in the Son of God. I love. I love a life. That's a life of faith. The life of faith when I love, you cannot make out. If Christ were to look like Paul, then that's how he loved. Yeah, but- we are not talking about miracles or a, don't get that into the mm. picture, you will get fooled. Mm. Okay. Let us say if Christ were to work in your position in the railways, what would how would he work? Oh. It's as simple as that. How would he be in your place at your seat? How will he be? The issue is that after some time. People would start coming to you. And they will say, you are different. What makes you different? You are different. What makes you different? Okay. Because Jesus said, the light cannot be hidden. He said, let your works shine before. There's one thing about hidden. That's one thing. But the Bible is very clear. It, it cannot remain hidden for yes, all yes, yes. Your right hand shouldn't know what your left hand is doing. It is true. But after some time, God will make it public. Mm. It's you who's not making it public. God will make it public. God will make it public. It will be known who you are. It cannot be hidden. Because the issue is this, the life of Christ cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. That is to into which we grow. And we don't look to the left, we don't look to the right, we just lead our life. We're not trying to, we imitate the good in people, that's different. We look at the cloud of saints and learn from their life of faith and all. But we are not trying to be somebody else. Because God does not like conformity. God wants what we call variety. Variety. Mm-hmm. Right. You look around, that is what we see. No two trees are the same. No two flowers are the same. No two fruits are the same. No two birds are the same. Or even not two thumbprints are the same. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So that is every man or a woman or a child who submits to God understands this purpose. And lives by faith. It is God's magnificence, glory that is being radiated through them. Like all of creation shows the glory of God. But that is different from his glory that is revealed through us. It is our glory. And one day it will be revealed. The Bible says in a twinkling of a second, I, when immortality takes over mortality, our glory will be revealed. That is when Christ will be revealed in us. Then we will know how much was I and how much was Christ. Yes. Some will be very saved but very ashamed. Uh. <laughs> very ashamed. Because suddenly you will realize Christ was very small in you. You were very big. Others we thought they were very big. But suddenly you realize Christ was very big in them. Hallelujah. Very big in them. That is the hope of our glory. Uh. But how does that happen? It happens this. I am crucified with Christ. Identified completely with Christ. It is no longer I, I who live, but Christ lives in me. How does Christ live in me? When I live by faith. When I live by faith. That's as simple as that. We have used that illustration 100 times. We have used that. Sami, can you get me that cup from there? Or Roshan, can you get me that cup from there? 
Roshan, you can take the cup back. Yeah. Just take an illustration. The minute I said, Roshan, get me that cup, and I told him, take the cup back, his time stopped ticking. He stopped living, and I started living through him. Mm. No, he's not living. I am living. Everything that he's doing is what I told him to do. It's not Roshan is living. It's I who am living. He's not doing his work. He's doing my work. Mm. That's exactly what faith does. The minute faith begins, you stop living. God starts living. You're not doing your work. You're doing God's work. That is what it means. Because in faith, you are always listening to another voice. Inside, you are listening to a voice that is inside. Even though you have somebody may tell you, you don't like it, you do it. So when you do it, you are still doing his work your way. So neither mm-hmm. does he get any glory, nor does you get any glory. So there is sight will never bring glory. Mm. Only faith can bring glory to God. Because when faith begins, you end. God begins. Faith stops, you he stops, ends, you begin. And God has called us to love 24-7. Love by faith. When you love by faith, it is a life of righteousness. righteousness. Okay? If you go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just. First he makes us just, makes us righteous. He makes us righteous. And then he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm. How will he live by faith? From faith to, to faith. faith to faith. And so, God begins with the small things. Romans 14, 23. Can you bring faith to your eating? eating. <laughs> the common things. We eat, we drink. Mm. Right? Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So he brings the common, the mundane as we call, to the most important one. He says, apply faith to everything. That is why we read the word of God. We read the word of God to find out what did God say. That's the only simple reason. What did God say? What did God say? It is written. That's what Jesus meant. Man shall not live by bread alone. But my every word that proceeds from the to live by sight, strength for my body, I need bread. To live by faith, I need every word of God that proceeds from his mouth. Everything. So when the devil comes and tempts, he says, no, it is written. It is written. That's how you live. And it's a life of faith. It's a life of righteousness. It's a life of righteousness. Because when faith comes in, grace comes in, its product is righteousness. Wherever faith and grace come, righteousness is the product. It always produces righteousness. Because if faith has come, grace has to come. If grace hasn't come, faith hasn't come. It is how it works. It is how it works. You put on the switch, electricity is there, the light will glow. But if the light doesn't glow, that means there is no power. So don't talk faith. If you talk faith, there is grace. If there is grace, there is always victory. That is what. Now you go to Second Corinthians two, fourteen. Yeah, yeah, two fourteen. Now thanks be to God who always gives us in triumph. In triumph. In, in Christ Jesus. See, this is a fundamental principle. God never. Take, you cannot walk in Christ in defeat. It's not possible. 
It is simply not possible. He always states in victory. The only problem here, I'm telling you, I'm explaining you because you will understand what righteousness actually means. This is how it works. In the old covenant, we were given physical, physical pictures. Joshua, every place the sole of your foot treads, I give it to you. All the days, nobody will be able to stand against you. All you have to do is meditate upon my word, don't it live and obey all that is done. That is fighting physical enemies. Are you getting the picture? Yeah. We don't fight physical enemies. We don't have no physical enemies. We have only spiritual enemies. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. First get that picture. Joshua is in battle. I am in battle. That is the only area where it is safe. Joshua's battle is different. My battle is different. He's fighting physical enemies. I am fighting spiritual enemies. The end of his battle, there is righteousness and peace in the land. The end of that battle, I have righteousness and peace in me. So what are the enemies that I am fighting? My enemies are spiritual. I'll give you an example. Go to uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. Got it? 43. Onwards. You have heard it was said, you shall love your enemy, neighbor, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard. So he's talking about, you know, that's what the law, that's what the law did to you. You loved your neighbor, hated your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. Stop. So who is my enemy? The person is not my enemy. The enemy is inside me. Yeah, flesh. Go to verse 44. Okay. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When I am able to do that by faith through the grace of God. I have overcome. Christ has led me in triumph in the spiritual realm. People may laugh at you. does not matter. I am not fighting them. In the spiritual realm, God has says, my son is victorious in your life today. He is leading us in triumph every time. Mm. That is what God is talking about. Mm. If you don't understand our enemies have changed, battlefield has changed, we will not understand victory, what victory is. So if you look at it, anybody in the kingdom of God, irrespective of his position in life, can be victorious. A housemaid who's got a terrible mistress can be a victorious Christian. She shouts at her this thing. She doesn't say anything. With a smile, with cheerfulness, continues to do, prays for her mistress every day, blesses her in everything she does. God says, you know what? She's going from victory to victory to victory. Yeah. That is lost. This is one. That is how it is. This is how we need to have need to understand. And we don't realize our battlefields are our homes. It is not in Ukraine. Our battlefields are our home. God says, win your battle at home. Oh no, my husband is like, doesn't matter. What are you? Do you want to win the battle or lose the battle? My wife is like that. That's not the question. Do you want to win or lose? My boss is like that. That is not the point. You want to win or lose. He says, I ask you to do something. He says, love your enemies. And love is an action word. How do I love my enemies? First, bless them. 
do good to them. Three, pray for them. Hmm. Now you don't have to go around doing. He says, when that opportunity, one, one thing you can do is that you can pray for them. Consistently you can pray for them. Okay. And a time and an hour will come. When it comes, you realize this person who spitefully used you and persecuted you is now before you and you have the power to help you. You will be able to help without a tinge of anger or self-satisfaction or anything. You'll be able to really help that person. That is what Joseph is doing. He's sitting as governor of Egypt. They don't know him because he looks Egyptian and speaks Egyptian. But he's looking at his brothers and his heart breaks. He puts a picture of the law to bring them to repentance. But from the beginning till the end, all his actions are kindness. Mm. He says, put their gold money back. Put their money back. In their sacks, put it back. I don't want money from them. I don't want money from them. Every time he's being kind to them. But these are people who spitefully used him and persecuted him. But all those 21 years, he had blessed them. And he had prayed for them. Now when the opportunity comes, he's actually blessing them physically. And you know what? He's triumphing over his enemies. He doesn't wield a sword. He doesn't lift a hand. He's victorious over all his enemies because our enemies are not outside. Our enemies are inside. Two enemies we face. One in my flesh. Anger, hatred, envy, jealousy, all this thing is there. And then outside is an enemy called Satan's kingdom. If there is anger, there is a spirit of anger. If you are an angry man, the spirit of anger attaches with you. If you are jealous, there is a spirit of envy. This attaches with you. So God says, like I said, I taught in a Pali church on Thursday, the first thing that is told in Mark 16 and 17. Okay. 16, 17. What's the first thing that is given to the believer? These signs will those who believe in my name. They will cast out what? Demons. Demons. So there are two things we have to do. One, if you are an angry person, you say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of anger to leave me now Mm. in Jesus' name. Spiritually cast that demon out. He's your enemy. He's not your friend. Cast him out. Two, do exactly opposite what your flesh tells you to do. Pray for them. Bless them and curse them. Don't curse them. Do good for them when the opportunity comes. And you know what happens? You have overcome. So you have to tackle this this battle in two ways. One, attack the spiritual one. That is the actual spiritual spirits. You take any activity of the flesh. There is a spirit behind it. Spirit of discord, spirit of division, spirit of fear, spirit of anger, spirit of hatred, spirit of unforgiveness. All the spirits are. And you realize this is my problem. Deal with the spiritual. You shall cast out demons. The first thing that he says, cast them out. You don't have to go and cast it out of yourself. I have given you authority. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. That is why when you read the word of God, the word of God should be a mirror that reflects your soul. Okay, God is showing you something. This is what I am. He doesn't like. You know what? This is a self-help book. I have authority given you. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. He's showing me, you know what? You have jealousy. You are a jealous person. Cast out the spirit of enemy. Cast out the spirit of him. Cast it out. Okay, cast it out. You know what I'm gonna do? 
I'm going to do exactly. Who am I jealous about? Ah, oh, I am jealous about Sammy. Very jealous about Sammy. Cast that spirit of jealousy out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise him. Exactly the opposite. I'm going to do exactly to the, the opposite. opposite. Mm. So you know what I'm going to tell you. You know what? Sammy, he's really cool. He does his work very well. I really appreciate him. And the flesh is grinding his teeth. You put your enemy under your feet. Mm. Why is this important? Until that happens. That's what Romans uh, 15 talks about. The final enemy is death. Mm. I wanted to go over there. So we understand what practical righteousness is. Because righteous, understand this. Righteousness is a result of judgment. Mm. To make judgments, you need truth. Law, truth. You have the law, you have the truth, you make a judgment. The result of it is righteousness and where there is righteousness, there is peace. That's why the Bible says righteousness, peace and joy. That is the kingdom of God. But to have righteousness, first you need to make a judgment. God cannot make me righteous unless he judges my sin. So when I believe Jesus, Christ is judged, I am declared righteous. That's the first act. Then practical. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last in my words. Okay. I wanted to go to that words. Okay. Yes. Words uh, 24 onwards. Then comes the end. Okay. When will the end come? And everything is put under After a thousand years. Mm. Not even now. Jesus' second coming comes, the battle is still not over. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> still not over. Another thousand years. Then the end will come. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule, all authority and power. Final battle. Satan and all the rebels are dis- after his release for a little time. Everybody is destroyed, defeated. Satan, judgment is set. Satan and all throne is. Then Revelation 21 is when he hands the kingdom to the Father. Till then he is ruling. The Father waits. Because the Son of Man has to bring all his enemies under his feet. Everything is over. Then he says, Father, here. Now you start. You can rule. That's what he says. He must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy is death. Now you put 25 and 26 together. Okay? So he has to put all, he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Make it personal. Before death comes. And I will overcome death. Because any man who has believed in me, even though he dies, he does not die, he lives. I have to overcome death. That is my fast enemy. But before I overcome death, oh Lord, I want to defeat all All my my enemies enemies and give it to you as a trophy. I have overcome anger, I have overcome lust, I have overcome jealousy, I have overcome envy, I have overcome division, I have overcome it all, Lord. And here is my life as a trophy to you. All my enemies are under your feet Mm -hmm. and I overcome death. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy. I have overcome. And therefore I have a crown of righteousness. Therefore I have a crown of righteousness. Therefore I have a crown of righteousness. That is the crown of righteousness. You began positionally as a righteous person. You end up being crowned with righteousness because you have brought all his enemies 
under his feet. That is what God is expecting from every child of Hallelujah. his. Amen. And Christ will be reigning until every enemy has brought under his feet. Mm. Once it is done, he will hand the kingdom over to the Father and the new creation begins. And I saw a new heavens and a new earth and there was no sea. And I saw the new city coming. And verse 3 will say, and the Father. Now the Father comes. Revelation 21 is talking about this. He will reign till the millennium reign. I was explaining to them, millennium reign is different from eternity. Yes. Because in the millennium reign, there will be a set of people who have come through it all who are not saved. They are not saved. So imagine you are one of the overcomers who are coming with Christ Jesus to rule. The problem is, you have a new body, they have old bodies. Mm. You have a completely new nature, they have the old nature. And you have to rule over them. And the problem is, these dudes won't die easy. Even the youngest will live for a hundred years. That's what the Bible says. But they are not sanctified people. Sin is there inside. That's why he will rule with a scepter of iron. You will not visibly allow sin to be manifested, but sin is inside. So what do you need to rule over them? You need patience. You need love. You need kindness. You need all these, the things which we struggle for are the things that will be required for those thousand years. Mm-hmm. Let us imagine in this millennium reign, let us say there is a man who survived through it all. Okay? He came through. He is going to live for 150 years. And he is going to get saved only in the 149th year. And you are in charge of him. How much patience do you need? <laughs> You need the patience of God. Your patience won't be enough. You need the endurance of God to put up with Him. You need the long suffering of God. So when God is asking all these things, you need to realize there is a reason He is asking. See, in eternity, when everything is kosher, there is no sin, no power of sin, no presence of sin. What do I need patience patience for? for. I don't need patience Mm. because everybody is patient. Mm. I don't need long suffering because there is no suffering there. Mm. Millennium reign is completely different. It's a complete realm. It's a completely different dispensation. It is better than now, but there's no comparison to eternity and the millennium reign. No comparison at all. Because there are, we are still in the midst of sinners. A set of sinners who finally when Satan is released will all turn against Jesus and the saints and go to fight him. Mm-hmm. So that is a difference. So when we look at it, we need to understand what does God mean by righteousness? Functional, positional is one thing. What is functional righteousness? And what are the ways in which I battle, I bite? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but yes, we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers, wicked, all of them. And then you look into it. You go to the their relatives inside Galatians 5, 18 and 19. There is a devil with all these demons outside. And then there is this relative, all his relatives are inside. Mm. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outrest of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So inside me, these are the works of my flesh. <laughs> inside me are all these, you see, and there are corresponding spirits who like all these. Yes. 
So the spirits were like all this, these things. So the, the spirit is looking for a body through whom which he can love. God is looking for a body through which he can love. When I walk by faith, the spirit of God lives through me. When I walk in the flesh, the demonic realm lives through me. Okay. Either way, it is I am who is living it out. But the spirit realm, you cannot escape the spirit realm. It's no way you can escape the spirit realm. Either it is God's spirit or it is other spirit. Sometimes they cohabit also. So how is that possible? Of course, the Holy no. Spirit is in your spirit. Yes. In your spirit. So basically, overcoming is where the Holy Spirit is taking control over and over and over, over your soul. That is the salvation of your soul. The spirit speaks to the soul. The soul decides and tells the flesh, shut down and shut up. This is what we will do. Slowly you put to death. And if you look at it, that's the work of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. The actual battle, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. So that's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ fights flesh. He suffered in the flesh. His battle was with his flesh. Okay? In this. That he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, or let us say the lusts of flesh, but for the will of God. Mm. Verse 3, and he who has, therefore, has seized, we have spent mm. enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in libertiness, um, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, and regards to this, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Yeah. You're looking at he who has suffered in the flesh. Yes. from sin is in verse 2 only. Right? Oh, it was in verse, verse 2. two only. Okay, yeah. Verse yeah. He who has suffered in the flesh has what? Verse from sin. He who enjoys in his flesh is continuing his oh. sin. But he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you have ceased from sin or when you have overcome sin, what has happened? You have won. That is the day of victory. Let's go back to that. Second Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. The difference. What happens? How does God see us? Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through whom? Through us. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The fragrance of Christ. Did you see that? The fragrance Christ. How does it differ? To one we are the aroma of death, leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. Our testimony may understood differently. The people who are <laughs> perishing, they'll say, you are a fool to forgive. If I were you, I would never forgive that person. So he will continue in his forgiveness from death to death. Oh. To the other one, <laughs> he is challenged. The believer, the young believer is challenged and says, my gosh, I need to believe. I need to forgive like him. This is not the way I need. So to one, you are the aroma of life leading to life. To the other, you are the aroma of death leading to death. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's making all those pronouncements, Father, forgive the man all, it led one thief to life. The other one went to death because he was not going to be saved, but this was once going to save. So he, the knowledge of God through Christ, led one to Christ salvation, the other was eternally damned. This is what we are supposed to do every day. Mm. 
That's what Jesus said. We will be his witnesses. So these are functional things. We don't have to worry about fighting for a war and all. That's not. We have to fight and win the war inside and win the war against the enemy. You don't let the enemy overcome you. Because we've been given everything over Luke 10, 19, right? And then yes. we, if we have another question or we'll stop. Luke 10, 19. We have given you all the authority and power to trample. Yes, that's what this is. Behold, I give mm. you authority to trample upon mm. serpents and scorpions mm. and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Is it true? Yes. The enemy through people has the power only to hurt your body. Mm. Only you have the power to allow the enemy to hurt your soul. Mm. Enemy cannot hurt your soul. You hurt your soul. Say you are in a persecuted church. Say you are beaten up. You have a choice. You are beaten up. That's all the enemy can do. But if you choose to be angry and bitter, you have wounded your soul. Not the enemy. You did. Mm. You did. You did. Or you were raped. Or you were molested. And you are so bitter and angry and this thing. It's your choice. He raped your body. You raped your soul. You can't rape your soul. You can only rape your body. You rape your soul. So you choose. Everything that happened is evil. But you choose to go by the word of God and says, I choose to forgive my offender. Because Christ has forgiven him and Christ has forgiven me. He died for everybody. He may never know Christ. But if he has to know Christ... I will release him. I release him. I choose to forgive him. You know what happens? Your soul will remain unmarked. Mm. It will not be marked. The problem is not with the body. The problem is with the, the soul. soul. If your soul is marked, whatever happens, your body will heal. Whatever happens. Somebody broke your head, you went there, whatever done, the healing goes. But if you carry that wound in your soul, that is what bitterness does. He talks about right of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, if I am right. Right. He talks. 13? Yeah. 12 or 13. Bitterness. Bitterness. Yeah. Words 14 and 15. Read words 14 and 15. 12, 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without, without which no, no one will. So he says, pursue peace. How do you pursue peace with all people? Somebody beat you up and you left. What do you do? I'm talking to my underground church now. Somebody harmed you so terribly and left. What do you do? He left. He laughed at you. He burned all your possessions. He did all kind of chunk over there and left. What do you do? You do what Christ did. Now there were so many questions, including in Fox News, in when all those 18 sweet little kids were killed, killed over there. And the question is asking, it is when times like this, people ask, where is God? God is exactly where he was when his son was killed. He has never moved from his place. His own son was killed because of all this. Okay. So the simple question is, when these things happen, what should be your response? Your first response is, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. And I pray for them, Lord, one day they will encounter you. Lord, do you know why he raped me? Lord, do you know why he beat me up? Do you know, Lord, why they robbed all the stuff in our home? Do you know, Lord, why they burned our house? Because they do not know you. That's the only reason. 
Lord, do you know why I don't do these things? Because I know you. That's the only difference between you and he and me. The only difference. I know you. He doesn't know me. I could be in his place and he could be in my place. It is by mercy and grace I was saved and he is not. So my prayer is, Lord, save him. Lord, I want to stop all rapes in the world. Lord, pray for them. Lord, I want to first all violence. Pray for them. The answer to every evil in the world is the gospel. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But the first act of gospel is pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them who has persecuted you. Pray for them who have harmed you. Pray for them. Pray for them. And when you do that, what happens is, otherwise what will happen? Looking carefully. (coughs) Excuse me. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. How do you fall short of grace? You have an overcome. If you are in grace, you overcome unforgiveness, bitterness, all, doesn't matter what people do to you. Nobody did anything to anybody more than what they did to Jesus. Because he was pure, holy, and never did any harm. There was no sin in him. Yet he was marred beyond recognition. And yet his first response when he's lifted up is, Father, forgive them. He refused to entertain any other thought. It's a choice of his will. No bitterness, nothing at all. That's what he's talking about. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness. That's the difference between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is bitter. Ruth is not. Both are widows. Both have lost their husbands. Both have no children. Both are widows. But Naomi is back among her people. Ruth has left her people to be among Naomi's people. Naomi is bitter. Ruth is full of peace. That's the difference. No Ruth. So who is saved? Who can be redeemed in that situation? Can Naomi redeem? No. She has fallen short of grace. And Ruth is redeemed because she has not fallen short of the Mm. grace of God. Because in her heart, because of what she has gone through, she has not allowed bitterness to come in. Mm. So you have to fight. Bitterness is a terrible, terrible enemy living well in the house of God. Because people go through all kinds of issues in their marriages, in their homes, in their offices, whatever. And you know what? The root of bitterness and from that causes trouble. It defiles many other people. If you want to, if you want to know, go to Ruth. Ruth. Yeah. No, that one, that, how it, that word is actually proved. Okay. Verse, chapter one, verse 19 and 20. And 21. Now two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. That's her hometown. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Think about this. Okay, Everybody's excited. Hey, our sister has come back after 10 years. Is this Naomi? Look at her response. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mm. Look at where I went out full. And God has brought me home again. You know what? She defiled many people with her words. She She could have lifted up many people and she, she defiled many people with her words because she was bitter. Bitter. On the other hand, what should you say is, I made a mistake. 
I went into the land of Moab, a cursed land. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. But you know what? God was kind. He kept me alive. And can you believe it? My Moabite no, daughter-in-law wanted to come with me. I told her, go back. She said, no, I want to come back and be with your God. She could have edified everybody. Instead, she chose to defile mm. everybody. You know why? Simple thing. The root of bitterness. Mm. That's what God is talking about. You have to win these enemies. Otherwise, what will happen? You will defile others. That is not what you are meant to be. He says, you are meant to be from where grace pours out of your lips. You are meant to be a wellspring of life. Because in him was life. That life was the light of men. So whatever you go through, whatever you, we do not condone evil. But, look at the cross. Listen to those words and say, Lord, make me like you. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Simple. Mm. If you cannot say anything, just say that. Keep saying it until it, you will see the flood of Holy Spirit flow through you. Keep saying it. Father, forgive them. Maybe you are somebody who was beaten up. Somebody who was raped. Somebody whose child was killed. Say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Keep saying it. Suddenly you realize everything will change. Your soul will be untouched by the enemy. Because soul is what is important. Because a marred soul, a marred soul, okay, will mess you up. Because he's trying to save our soul and make us whole. That's what it says, okay? That's what the Bible says. He's trying to make us whole. That's what happened to the ten lepers. It messed, disfigured their bodies. Not only that, it disfigured their souls. Because you're ostracized from your family. You can't see your wife, your children, the community standing far away. Every day shouting, unclean, 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 unclean. And then one day you hear and you cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. This is God. While they were going, they were healed. Hmm. The Bible says one turned back. One turned back. The loud voice gave thanks and praised God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Where are they dead? Where are they? And he was a Samaritan. You know what Jesus said? Be made whole. Now not only has his disfigurement gone, the disease gone, he's made well in his soul. He says, You know what? When you go back, when you go back to home, you will go back as a different person, not the others. They will go back to their home, healed in their body, and they will come, and they will fight with their wives. In their marriage. Ten years I was a leper. I wonder how many men you slept with. Mm. They are bitter. You didn't even throw some food for me. And I wonder what you taught all these children. You know why? They are bitter. They are, they are not made whole. This man goes back different. He goes back to different. And his home will be a home of peace because he has been made whole. So the outward disfigurement is not what matters. The inward disfigurement, he, that's what he's trying to put us right over there. And that's what the Samaritan woman said. He said, come and see. Is he the Messiah? He said, he told me everything about my past. There's one unwritten statement there. And he did not get didn't condemn him. The son of man did not come to condemn. He came to save. She, she's a different woman. She's a different. 
all bitterness gone. All is gone. Everything mm-hmm. is gone. One encounter with Jesus Christ, actual face-to-face encounter, and she opens up for him to reach out and touch her soul. It's, she's fine. That's what Christ wants to do. That's all part of righteousness. That's all right. Righteousness has its own effect. Righteousness, there is peace and there is joy. And it's irrelevant about our circumstances. And you have to read those letters of, of Paul, especially the letter to the church in Philippi. You have to read about, and the letter in Timothy, all have abandoned me. Nobody searched for me except this man. And then everybody left. In my first defense, nobody stood by me, but the Lord stood by me. I don't hold it against them. How this man has come through? How he has come through completely, untouched. You look at his soul, unscarred. I know what awaits for me in every city. Every city gets beaten up, soul is only getting better. Body is getting worse, soul is getting better. Beaten, 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 (laughs) abandoned, beaten, betrayed. That is his history. Soul is more forgiving, more loving, more kind, more generous. Just, that's your enemy. Otherwise you'll get it wrong. We have to win over those enemies. And when we win over those enemies and reach before God, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Rule over these sensitivities because you are worthy to be found yeah. our ruler. That's what the Bible says. Until the word of the Lord tested him, iron entered into his soul. Mm. And when he was proven, God released him. And God released him. He was checking his character. He was not checking anything, his circumstances. Mm. He knows he's ready to be released. Now he's released. He won't be an angry man. He won't be a vengeful man. I can give him all power. The power of Pharaoh into his hands. Nothing will happen to Potiphar. Nothing will happen to Mrs. Potiphar. Nothing will happen to his brothers. Nothing will happen. He will be absolutely kind with everybody. He will not destroy anybody. He will save everybody. I can hand power to him. And for that, it took 13 years. But at 13 years, not a day was wasted. The purpose of God was fulfilled in Joseph's life. The purpose of God is to transform us or conform us to the image of Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll stop, Pastor Vijay. Yes, Pastor Vijay, would you pray? I'm sorry, all Western, I know you will tell me to take Claritin and all, but this came in suddenly out of the blue. (laughs) Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you that you are an awesome God. Lord, you put us through all these situations, not to harm us, because you said in your word, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you give you a hope and a future and a desired and an expected end. And our end is not in this life, Lord. It is in the life to come. Thank you, Father, for this time that you have given to us. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, all our eyes will be taken away from the temple and that we look at the unseen because you said, Lord, all that is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. Keep our eyes focused on the unseen and on you, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let the word that you have spoken into our hearts, let it take root and even bear of fruit. Enable us to abide as we heard in your word so that, Lord, the fruit can be born in our lives, O Lord. We thank you. We praise you. Once again, we just lift your name on high. Glorify your name. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.